This message is produced by the Transformation Edge Church. We believe you'll be inspired and transformed by it. The Trans Edge, a change is inevitable. Good, thank you. Great. All right, can we stand on our feet for a moment? Is that okay? But shall we pray? Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for what you're about to do this morning. You're about to expose us to your word. And Father, we know when we are exposed to your word, we start to see who we really are. Because your word is our mirror. And we know, God, that when we start to see who we really are, we cannot but change into who we are. We cannot but be transformed into what you say we are through your word. So this morning, we commit ourselves to you. And we ask that you do what you do best. That is reaching out to us, changing us, transforming, releasing those who are captured or who are oppressed or depressed in a way. You release them through your word. Your word which is able to bring life and cause people to be transformed by its power. We thank you. We praise you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the, the series of messages that you've been teaching us for the past few weeks. We know, God, that you are doing this for a specific reason, to grow us into the giants that you want us to become. We praise you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, very quickly, how many of us know the story of Samson? Samson in the Bible, in the book of Judges. You remember the story? And for those of you who used to attend Sunday school, you would have heard about Samson, a very strong man. Uh, and quite interestingly, when you hear about Samson and you think about his strength, you also think about how he died. You know, his two eyes were pulled out and he demanded to die together with, with his enemies. Unfortunately for him. And that is because he didn't know who he was. Samson was anointed. He was a Nazarene, a type of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he was. But he didn't know who he was. And that's the interesting thing, that when we don't know who we are, we give up for anything that comes to us. We, we just give up. There are challenges, and we try a little bit, we try a little bit, we see that the wall is not moving, we just give up. It's a wall, it won't move. But hey, if the wall is not moving, there are other options. Push it down. If you can't push it down, there are still more options. Scale over it. Take advantage of the Holy Spirit that you've got. And we, we've been talking about you know, the advantage of praying in the Spirit. And one of the advantages is that it makes things go quicker. Very quick for you. And on Sunday, we drew something on the board. We had uh, three lanes, and we used the, uh, the, uh, an analogy using the M4. Three lanes. So we have the first lane, which is for slow drivers. The middle lane, which is just for normal drivers like you. And the third lane, which is for crazy drivers like me. Okay? 
Uh, and the third lane is meant to be the overtaking lane. So when you overtake the car ahead of you, at least you can sit comfortably at its front. But I get on the third lane, I'm thinking that there are more cars to overtake. So why am I going on the middle lane? Um, but you see, that, that's what it is with our spirit. At times when we pray, some of us are just comfortable praying just the normal way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. If you remember that that prayer was taught us by Jesus Christ before the death of Jesus. You remember that? In other words, that prayer is not... That prayer is not the prayer of the New Testament. It's a prayer that was taught us in the Old Testament. You say, but it's in the New Testament section of the Bible. Yes, the New Testament section of the Bible does not say that it's actually the New Testament. The New Testament did not actually begin until the book of Acts. So the gospel, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, actually belonged to the Old Testament. And Jesus, if you remember, the Bible says that he was the last prophet of the Old Testament and the first one in the New. He actually brought about the New Testament. But you see, the Testament does not come into effect until the death of the testator. So there was no Testament until the death of Jesus. So the Lord's Prayer that we were taught, we were taught the pattern of prayer. But if you consider that, that that's the only prayer you, that you've got to pray, you are limited. Because now, when Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, that was in the Old Testament. Why? Because after the death of Jesus, the kingdom of God came to us. Came to us. So we're no longer expecting God's kingdom to come because the kingdom is here. Are you still here? Have I lost you yet? So that's more of the reason it's important for us to know where we belong, especially in prayers. Where do we belong? Where are we operating from? So some of us, it's okay to just pray the Lord's Prayer over uh, the beads and repeat it as many times as you want to. It's okay. That does not make it more effective than it will be. You know, it should. So you probably might repeat uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star ten times. That does, it, it doesn't make it more effective, right? And, and don't, you don't want your prayer to be stuck around the idea of, um, of, the, you know, the, of the song that you sing for babies. And some of us have known some prayers while we're kids. And that prayer is still stuck in our head. Especially the kind of prayer that we pray over food. Thank you, Lord, for food in Jesus' name. Oh, you know, thank you, Lord, for this blessing we are about to receive in your name. And at times, it's not even coming from your heart. It's great to give thanks. But where's that prayer? Where's, that, where's the seat of that prayer? Is it coming from your four-year-old self? Or is it coming from, I want to really thank God for what he's done? If every time you come to me and say, Marcus, you're looking amazing, you're great. Tomorrow you come back and say, Marcus, you're looking amazing, you're great. And uh, the, in five years, you're still coming back with the exact same sentence. Marcus, you're looking amazing, you're great. I'm going to start thinking, don't you have another way of expressing yourself? Or you're just trying, you know, is this real actually? In our times, our prayer style, our prayer system doesn't change because we are so used to it. We, we're so stuck in one way of thinking that we really no longer think about it. We just say it because it's memorized. Okay? 
So lane one. Lane two are those who pray. But praying their understanding. But praying in your understanding is limited. Because how many things can you remember? How many people can you remember to pray for? How many? Romans chapter 8, very quickly, verse 26. How many people? How many people can we remember to say, okay, we're going to just pray for these people right now? You probably might, if I ask you to mention everyone that is connected in your life, how many can you remember at a time? Probably five. If I say, okay, start calling names, names of people, it's the first five that you remember. You struggle from the sixth one. And that is not to say you love them less. It's just that that is the capacity of our mind at a time. Amen. So Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through the wordless, wordless groans. How lovely is that? See, in the same way, the Spirit helps us. And the interesting part there is that it helps us in what? In our weaknesses. And last week's Sunday, I explained mostly what it means by weaknesses. Can you remember? Can you remember? Weaknesses. Jesus said to the disciples... Of course, they walked all the way with him to the, to, uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said to them, okay, uh, you stay here and wait for me while I go a little bit ahead and pray. So he came back later and saw Peter, James, and John, the ones that were even closest to him, sleeping. And he said to them, guys, doesn't it bother you? Why can't you just pray for me or pray with me or stay awake, at least keep with me for one hour? You're sleeping. So, but I know the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I talked about it on Sunday that it was not about it was not talking about the flesh being weak as as in they were sleeping. Of course, that was what they were doing at that time, but they were willing. They came all the way with him. But this, the flesh does not have the capacity, does not have the capacity, although the spirit is willing. In another translation, it said the spirit is ready. It's ready. But the flesh does not have the capacity. So because the flesh does not have the capacity to carry, you lean in on the spirit. So here it's saying in the same way the Spirit helps us in our incapacities, in our state of disablement. We are disabled in a way that we cannot really catch up with the things that we're supposed to be doing. He says it helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. We do not know what we are supposed. We do not know. Think about that for a moment. So we do not know. So, but you want to pr pray. So, but we, we, we can't put them all into words. But he helps us. And he intercedes for us through wordless groans. Verse 27. And he who searches our heart. And he, who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. 
He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And that's quite interesting. In accordance with his will, because we have no idea. But God knows our heart, and he understands the mind of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, he said, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, neither has he come into the hearts of man what God has proposed for them that love him. But he has shown it to us by his Spirit. And that's quite interesting. He said, No one knows, but yet he said, But he has shown it to us by his Spirit. He has shown it to us by his Spirit. It's exciting. Praise God. All right, so let's move on. So, um, what's his name? Samson. Samson. The Bible didn't tell us he was a giant. He wasn't a giant. Well, well, one of the giants that we knew, knew their names in the Old Testament, remember him? Goliath. I didn't even have to remind you. Because that's the most notorious giant in the Old Testament. We remember him. But Samson was even in a sense greater than Goliath. Not just because Goliath was a Philistine and Samson was Hebrew. But because Samson did what Goliath couldn't do. So think for a moment. You remember the story how Samson um, was captured. Up until that very moment, they couldn't capture him. So they tried the first time. They sent girls to him. And finally, they caught him. And the girl couldn't do it the first time. The girl tried the first time, then tried again the second time until the third time. He said, what is really the secret of your strength? What does that su suggest? That Samson was not big. So the Philistines were wondering, so this guy looks like, like us. Probably even shorter than some of them. And they'll be wondering, so how come you can do mighty things? How come you are able to, I'll tell you some of the things that he did. Oh, love this. Hmm. Where are we? Okay. Hmm. One, Samson killed a lion. Not a big deal, right? Not a big deal. Okay. Uh, well, how many of you can kill a lion with your bare hands? It's only Juma, because Juma sounds like lion anyway. <laughs> so he killed a lion. Another one. He tied 200 foxes together by their tails. All right. Keeps getting better. All right. Another one. He killed 1,000 Philistines with a jawbone of an ass. A jawbone. Jawbone. Just a bone. And who knows if the donkey, he, he was the one who killed it as well. And took the, you know, the jawbone and killed a thousand Philistines. Not a sword, jawbone. So in other words, anything he had was an instrument. It was a weapon. And carried the gates of Gaza. And this was the gate of a city. Not the gate to your house. The gate of a city. Big gates. He carried it for 38 miles. But then they wanted to know, what is the secret of your strength, Samson? 
because you look like us. If possibly, if Samson was like um, as big as Goliath, they wouldn't wonder that much. They would have not, well, he's big, of course. He's got the strength, the physique, everything. I don't think Samson was that, was that big. I know Hollywood has kind of taken license to paint a different picture of Samson. They give him six pack, like I don't have. Okay, you know, they make him look big and really muscular. But the Bible did not tell us that he was big and muscular. But the Bible told us that he was anointed. That's a spiritual thing. So how come you're that big? So they had to explore. They did so many investigations until the woman scientist got him and said, it's my hair. And they cut off the hair. And Samson got up like every other person, every other, every other time, that he would shake himself and all the chains would fall off. But this time it was different. Why? Because he broke his vow. It was not about the hair, it was about the vow. It was about the commitment. I was still here. All right. Let's think about Goliath for a moment. Goliath was. Forget, I know if I ask you how much do you like Goliath, probably it might just be a zero out of ten. Because the Bible has painted him in a way that he belongs to the camp of the enemy. So us, naturally, as Christians, wouldn't like him. Right? Yeah. So you're biased, you know that? Okay. All right. Well, let, let's assume that Goliath was um, of the camp of the Israelites. And he was big. So, for example, I just wanted, I want you to think very quickly what the features of Goliath will be. And I know most of the features, whilst we've taken some of them out of the scriptures, but some of them, you had your own pictures put on them. All right? So, how big was Goliath? Goliath, the Bible says, was head and shoulders above so many other people. But so also was Saul, the king. Saul was head and shoulders above every other person. That was one of the, the uh, reasons why he was anointed king, because he was big enough. And he looked handsome as well. So he was anointed king of Israel. But Goliath was way bigger. That when he stood before um, David, David looked small. David was not really that young. David was 17 years old. Any 17-year-old child here? A 17-year-old child, we call them child, but they're not really kids. They're big. Some of them are really big. So I don't know how big um, David was, but he was not a baby. But he stood before Goliath, and he was dwarfed by Goliath. So Goliath physique, he was big, probably muscular, probably had 10 parts, not sure. And he had everything going on for him. But let's think about it very quickly. That if Goliath was that big, he would also have superhuman strength as a giant. Think about some Hollywood characters. Superman, Spider-Man, what others? The Hulk. Okay, superhuman characters. So they will have superhuman strength. And another thing that comes at the back of that is that they, that helps with their confidence. Think about Goliath. 
He was so confident. He knew anything, nothing that the children of Israel will bring before him can defeat him. So he kept harassing them for days and days and days until little David came out. And he thought, this is a joke. This is the best you've got. Another part I thought about Goliath was they are boastful. He was boastful. Why? Because his physique gives him the confidence. And he saw that he can do anything more. So he was boastful. And I'm pretty also sure that he would continue to exercise to keep his physique. Why? Because that's the source of his strength. He would. So think for a moment that we've just analyzed five characteristics of Goliath. One, he was big, physically big. Number two, he had superhuman strength. Number three, he's confident in, he was confident in his, in his strength. Number four, he was boastful. And number five, he kept exercising, possibly, because he was a soldier. And soldiers are required to continue to train. As a spiritual giant, do you think you require that as well? And I'll, I'll, I'll take you through that in a few minutes. But there were different dispensations in the, in the Bible. There were the, the, the dispensation of physical giants. Well, not only in the Bible, even in, in the world. There were the dispensation of physical giants, Genesis chapter 6. And then was the dispensation of mental giants in the 18th, 19th, 20th century. Even till this day. People whose IQ are just way out of the roof. For example, Steve Jobs. Einstein. They were mental giants. Who would ever think that a big metal box would fly. And then they think about the laws of aerodynamics and they put a big metal box in the air and it's flying. And now we are confident that we'll get on the plane and we won't drop out of the sky unless otherwise something has really gone horribly wrong. Dispensation of mental giants. But now is the dispensation of spiritual giants where people can continue to rely on God completely, it will not be based on your physique. It will not be based on your ability. It will be based on God's ability. Where what you bring to the table is more or less nothing. But because the only thing you are required to bring to the table as a spiritual giant, or rather to grow your, uh, your physique, your spiritual physique, is your faith. That's all. That's all you've got to bring. Your faith. Your faith. Ask Peter in the Bible when he saw Jesus walk upon the water and he asked Jesus, is that you? If it's you, ask me to come. And Jesus said, come. He stepped out of the, water, out of the boat onto the water. Can I say this again? Now, he actually did not step onto the water. He stepped on the word of Jesus. Because every other person was scared to step onto the same water. 
Because they didn't get the word. The only thing Peter was waiting for was just the word. Come. And he heard it, and he stepped on the word. Until he realized, oh my goodness, Jesus is still far away. Now the boat is too far, and the wind is billowing. What can I do? He took his eyes and his mind and his mindset off the word of Jesus, and he started to sink. Because if it was just the same water, the water would have carried him. It was not just the water. It was the word. You see, in the Old Testament, God's people were required to obey the word. To obey the word. In the New Testament, God's people aren't required to obey the word. We are required to do the word. Because obeying the word was, when you do this, you will be. Right? If you do this, you will be. But now, we are not required to obey the word because we are already what the word says. And all we're required to do is to continue to stand our ground in terms of the word. So we're not required to say, if you don't do this, because we are the righteousness. It, it, it didn't say you will become the righteousness. It said, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So if you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, do you require to obey or just to be? So all we are required to do as Christians, as God's people, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, when I talk about Testament, I'm not talking about the Book Testament, I'm talking about the Life Testament. In the New Testament, dispensation is to continue to do the Word. And doing the Word means you know where you belong and you walk in the path where you now belong. Second Corinthians. Let's think about this very quickly. Second Corinthians. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Okay, look at it from verse 7. Are you here? Can we all read together from verse 7? Want to go? Now, if this ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters and stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory, transitory though it was, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? All right, let, let's stop there. You want to go back there again? So now if the ministry that brought death, so what ministry brought death is talking about the law, the law of Moses. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And thou shalt not is based on obedience, right? So don't do this. So obey it so that you can be. So, so if that ministry, if that whole idea, if that whole philosophy brought death, which was engraved in letters on stones, but yet it came with glory. Because when you obeyed it, things happened. When you obeyed it, amazing things happened. You are closer to God. You, you, you are considered righteous as a result of your obedience of the law. You say, but if that came with glory or dole, it brought death. And when it says it brought death, what does that even mean? If you think about it, remember Romans chapter 7, it said, I, I didn't know sin until the law came. He said, but when the law came, sin resurrected in me, then I died. 
Is that because I didn't know what stealing is until the law says thou shalt not steal. Because it wasn't bad if I took something else. But when the law almost immediately goes, thou shalt not take someone else's thing without taking permission. And now I do, I become a sinner. And if I become a sinner as a result of my action, that leads to some consequences. Are you still here? So the law, technically, brought death. Technically, brought guilt. Yet, the law was meant to make me righteous. So by obeying the law, I would be accepted in God. But by not obeying the law, I am rejected. And the rejection, my rejection leads to death, basically. So he's saying that if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved on letters of stone, so he's talking about the law, came with glory, came with such promises of something greater and better, it's so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory transitory, though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit even more glorious? And the ministry of the Spirit is about doing the word. But let's go ahead. If the ministry that brought condemnation, you remember condemnation? That it says don't do and then you do, you're condemned as a result, right? So if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Is that understood? You say, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? In other words, the effect of this ministry is righteousness instead of condemnation. So it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. So for what was glorious has no glory now. So that ministry of Moses about the law was glorious, but in comparison with the ministry of the Spirit, it no longer seems to have more glory. Why? Because the ministry of the Spirit is surpassing in all ways. It beats it hands down. Verse 11. And if what was transitory came with glory, in other words, if what was passing away, what was on, on his way out of existence, came with glory, how much more greater is the glory of that which lasts? In other words, the ministry of righteousness lasts forever. So you've been called into the ministry of righteousness. And until you start, start to understand this, that it's no longer about what you do, that you have been accepted in the beloved regardless of what you think and how you do things. You've been accepted by God. Are you still here? You've been accepted. Say to someone, you have been accepted. So stop condemning yourself. You've been accepted. You have been accepted. And it's unconditional. It's unconditional. There are no terms and conditions attached. Your terms and conditions was meant to be fulfilled. It was attached, but it was not to be fulfilled by you. It was fulfilled by Jesus. So you got into a Telstra contract. Contract. Right? And they say when you don't pay by the 30th of the month, 
you get slammed with a bill, additional bill. But this, Jesus is saying, just keep using it. It's not yours to pay. Why? Because it's already been paid. But, but of course, from a human perspective, it's difficult for you to believe. How is that even possible? It's a service that I've been provided. You know, I should pay. And you want to prove to Jesus that you are okay. You are able to make some payment towards it. And Jesus is saying, no, you're wasting your time by trying to. Because this has already been paid. He said, but how about the terms and conditions? He said, I fulfilled them. I fulfilled them. So it's not your requirement anymore. It's no longer a requirement. So, so does that mean I, I just continue to sin since there's no requirement to obey the law? Does that mean? No. No. Why? Because you are no longer of your father. You are no longer of the devil. You now belong to God. You, you hail from God. You, you hail from God's word. God's word gives birth to you. So sin is no longer a part of you. You might still be committing sin, but you are not of sin. Are you still here? Yeah. Are you still here? You, you may still commit sin, and that's why you feel guilty when you commit sin. There are things that you do now that you feel, oh, really, I'm really terrible. I'm crazy. There are some people who don't even feel that way. Do you know why? Because they don't know God. So the Holy Spirit is in you to help guide you into the path. Why? Because you are righteous. You, you, God, consider, oh, God considers you righteous. Oh, I can see doubt in your faces. And I wish I could let, you know, get this straight to your mind. But you see, it takes your faith to be able to understand that I'm no longer condemned regardless of what I do. But because you are a child of God, you just need to do the word. Not obey the, not obey the word, but do the word. Because when you do the word, you, can't, you won't find yourself trying to obey. Because you are the word of God made flesh. What does that even mean? Oh, Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And if not for Jesus, you wouldn't be here. So the new life that you have came from God's word. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. So it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. This, is, this scripture is too loaded. It's just too loaded. You see, and that's more of the reason when you study the scripture, just don't read through, don't skim through. No, you are doing yourself a disservice when you skim through the scriptures. Because there are some germs hidden in God's word. You just need to find them out. Become a scientist of the word. Right. Look for it. Look for it. Be detailed. Check the words. Compare them one after the other. So what does this mean? How does this apply to me? So even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil covers their hearts. So, but whenever anyone... Say that, anyone. anyone. So whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Yeah. Earlier, he talked about that veil. He said that veil is upon the face. He said, Moses put it on, and it dulls their heart. Their hearts are dull. So they don't, regardless of how much you talk to them, they don't get it. So, but when you turn to the Lord, all of a sudden you can see. 
You know, a few Sundays ago, probably about a month or so ago, you know, Pastor Ossie was here, and that was the Sunday I wasn't here, but I saw the picture. She was here and put on um, her glasses with something covering the, the, the you remember it? So she, it was covering, so she couldn't see. And, and that was to say, if your face or your eyes are focused on something completely different, you can't really see what God has got for you. But once you take that away, it feels like, oh, there's a new world. What's going on? So what belongs to me? What's there? What, what, what is that? I want to know. If all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the police knocks at your house or whoever, I'm not sure. They knock at your house and they go, hey, are you uh, Safina? And of course you'll be scared the first time. You go, police? Me? What? We don't have business. And they go, we um, have been asked to escort you to Canberra. Because apparently, um, you've got a share of $500 billion uh, that you are unaware of. But we've been asked to escort you so that you can sign the paperwork. You won't believe because it's too big for you. It's just too big. And you start thinking, are they trying to con me into something? Are you real, please? Can I see your cards? And finally, because they are police, you've got to obey, right? Not, not really. Okay, they will force you anyway. Um, so you get in the car, and they drive you to Canberra. And you see that, you, you're asking yourself, is this really true? Are you sure this is true? And then all of a sudden, uh, you sit down, they bring out the paperwork, they say, this is your lawyer, or you can get any other lawyer, then you get a lawyer that you trust, and the lawyer tells you, it's true, actually. And that's your name, that's your photo right there. You go, okay, so what am I supposed to do? He says, just sign it, and you sign. So now, that $500 billion belongs to you. So do whatever you want to do with it. From that very moment, your future is clear. True? Oh, it's true. I'm talking about Safina. I'm not sure how old you are, but let me put an age on you. Probably the age that will make you smile, 13. Okay? Um, but then, all of a sudden, you know between, between 13 and 50, you know already what to do. All of a sudden, you become generous because you know even no matter how much you keep 500 billion to yourself, you can never finish it in your whole lifetime. So you become generous. You start to see better. You start to see how to help the world. Why? Because a, a different perception has been given to you. And now your eyes are open to a different perception. Same thing. Righteousness is invaluable. It's invaluable. You can never put a prize on righteousness. It's bigger than what you can imagine. And all you've got to do is just to continue to discover what is in it for me. What is my position in this? Do you know as God's righteousness that sickness cannot come on your body? That when sickness still comes on your body is because you don't know where you belong in God. Say, how come? How many times did you see Jesus being rushed to the hospital? But the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So, so when I get sick, does that make me uh, not a true Christian? No, I've not said that. I've said you are still on your way to discover what belongs to you. And probably you never discover everything that belongs to you whilst you're on earth. 
And that is why when you get to heaven, you will be amazed. Whoa, that was mine too. That was mine. My name is on that. I never used it. I was scared to touch it. I didn't know it was mine. Praise God. Next verse. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. Oh God, did you see that? In King James Version, he says it differently. Can you put on the King James Version for me very quickly? Verse 18. So, but we all with open face beholding as in the glass. The glass, the word glass there is mirror. As in the mirror, the glory of the Lord. So in other words, when you hold a mirror, who do you see? When you hold a mirror to your face, who do you see? Do you see me? No, you see yourself, right? So you see yourself. But he's saying that when you, we all, with open faces, beholding as in a glass, as in a mirror. So when he says, we all, now that the veil is taken away, are you still here? The veil is taken away, now you look at God's mirror. You see a reflection of God's glory. And who is the reflection of God's glory? That's you. Because that's only the person you can see. And what's God's mirror? That's the word. The word is God's mirror. So the more you look into God's word, the more you see what God has got for you. The more you see a complete description of yourself. See, we look into the mirror and see the glory of the Lord. And from then we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, the more you look at yourself in God's mirror, you are changed from glory to glory. You're starting to understand, oh, wow, all right, so that belongs to me too. All right, that's the new life I'm living too. And that is where you start to see the idea, the concept of sin starts to fall apart. Why? Because you know it's not part of the mirror. It's not part of what you see in God. You start to see that, oh, no, I shouldn't be doing this. Because what I should be doing is the word. And, and then it's no longer difficult for you to let go of the life of sin. Because it's almost natural to live the life of righteousness. And can I say this? That the doctrine of righteousness has been, for want of a better word, has been bastardized in a way that people think righteousness is your attitude to God's word. No, it's not attitude. It's who you are. It's not about acting holy that makes you righteous. Have you seen people that have acted holy that have been terrible, terrible pedophiles? It's true. They acted holy. All we saw was holy, glory, righteousness. We called it whatever we called it. But look at their private lives. It's completely different. So it's not about the act. And if only they understand this, that we've been reading about, they'll realize that if only they can give themselves to God and do the word, they wouldn't need to struggle to keep up the, the appearance. Don't struggle to keep up the appearance. And the more you understand God's word, the more you are changed from the inside out. It's not about your physique now. 
You might still be what you are right now, but your spirit is growing. There are some of you, as I'm talking right now, your spirit is growing. Your spirit is growing. You are, you are starting to understand, oh, oh, all right, okay. And then you get home. You're not just sitting down and thinking, oh, well, that message was really good today. No, 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 no. What it gets you to do when you get home is to bring out your Bible again and say, I want to see the mirror myself. I want to see it. I want to see myself really clearly. And that's how your spirit grows. So your spirit grows by, having the, by eating the right food. Right? Eating the right food. So how do you grow good stamina and physique? Eating healthy. Eat healthy food. God's word. It's healthy. Are you still here? I'm talking about your spirit. I'm not talking about physicality, all right? Don't go and be fasting and only just reading the Bible and saying, well, that's what Michael said. No, that's not what I said. What I've said is your spirit will continue to grow the more you eat healthy food. God's word. To be a spiritual giant, you are to be committed to God's word. Just like Samson was committed to his vow, to his Nazarene vow, until he cut it off. So it was his lack of commitment that exposed him. So commitment to God's word. And we are to be full of faith. In the realm of the senses, being full of faith sounds like being the most stupid person in the room. But being full of faith is understanding what God has got for you and going all the way. Job said, you know, at Job's, uh, when he was at the worst place of his life, everything was taken from him. And his friends suggested to him, man, Job, you're terrible. You're thinking you're really good, but you're really terrible. He said, no. His wife said, well, cause God, if that's all it takes, and die. And he said, no. And he said something. He said, you know, he made a statement. He said, even though he slays me, yet I will trust him. How stupid is that? But how full of faith is it? Are you still here? Because in the mind of the senses, in the mind of people around him, you're going, really? So you want to just keep suffering? But Job said, no, even though he slays me, yet I will continue to trust in him. But it wasn't God that's, that, was, that was dealing with him. It was the enemy. Are you still here? And that is not to say that as a Christian, it's okay to be poor. It's okay to undergo all the terrible things in the world. Not at all. Not at all. Don't sign a vow of poverty. <laughs> uh, don't give yourself away. Don't give yourself away. Don't say, well, it's okay. You, know, uh, you take the whole world and give me Jesus. No. You know how they used to sing that song? I'm going to end here. I, I think I still have a whole lot of things to go through, but our time is up. They sing the song, um, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. That's good. Then verse 2. You take the whole world and give me Jesus. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. You're lying. Because you think saying that will make you look righteous, will make you look holy, will make you look unselfish and, and not greedy? No, you're lying. Because you don't know what belongs to you, that's why you feel comfortable with that kind of a song. You can't say, take the whole world and give me Jesus. Why? Because the world, the earth, the Bible says, Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth belongs to God and everything in it. So why would you ask the devil to take the whole world and just give you Jesus? Jesus owns everything. So he that has the son has everything. 
So don't ever say take the whole world. That's why the devil will keep dipping hands in your pocket thinking, well, you gave me authority. You have Jesus, I'll take your money. You have Jesus, I'll take your health. You have Jesus, I'll take your joy. You have Jesus, I'll take your happiness. No, say to the devil, I've got Jesus and I've got it all. You can't touch me. You can't touch my wealth. You can't touch my joy. You can't touch my peace because I've got Jesus. Mark chapter 16, he said, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Are you still here? Can we stand on our feet? Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Building or raising spiritual giants. You get to the point where nothing can trick you out of God's will and promises for you. That you take your place. You take your place. You don't have to look physically big. Samson was not physically big, but yet he did great things. Are you still here? It's just to understand where you belong, to whom you belong, and the righteousness of God in you. He said, we are God's righteousness, and we are being transformed from glory to glory, from glory to glory. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Sweet Holy Spirit, we thank you, we praise you, we honor you for what you do and how you do them. Thank you for showing us your word. Thank you for showing us ourselves, our reflection in your word. And Lord, we're continuing to grow. We are continuing to be transformed by your word. And the devil cannot cheat us out of your promises for us. We thank you, God, because we are standing in the name of Jesus. Because there is no other name that is named under heaven by which we must be saved, but at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because of things in heaven and things on earth, the name of Jesus is greater. And we come in the name of Jesus. We live in the name of Jesus. We take what belongs to us in the name of Jesus. And that is why we will continue to excel. Our hearts are being transformed. Our spirit is being energized. That the lie of the enemy will continue to diminish for your truth to continue to increase in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. The message you've heard was produced by the Transformation Edge and we hope it has inspired you. For more information, please visit our website, www.thetransedge.com or you may contact us via email to frontdesk at thetransedge.com or on Facebook, The Transedge Church. You may wish to call us on 02-4731-2419. The Transedge, a change is inevitable.